3: Hey guys, it's Kayla. I'm so happy you're able to join us today because we are all still so directionally challenged. We thought we'd have it all figured out by the time we were in our 30s, but surprise, we don't. And that's okay. Today, I have a personal favorite of all of our guests on. Her name is Alicia Roth Weigel. She is an advocate for the lives of intersex people. She consults with hospitals, government agencies, and other organizations to build culturally competent healthcare systems, including for intersex people to safeguard bodily autonomy. Born intersex herself, she identifies as she, they. She's a human rights commissioner for the city of Austin. She has a memoir out this month called Inverse Cowgirl, and she is so much more than that. She is just a fascinating individual here to share her story with us. So, without further ado, here is my conversation with the lovely Alicia Roth Weigel. And I am here with Alicia Rothweigel. I am so honored that you're here today. I We were just talking off mic. I've just truly been so excited for this interview. I think stories like yours are why Directionally Challenged was started in the first place. And before we start, I just want to thank you because I feel like so much of what you discuss is, is private, but it ends up being so public. So thank you for going there with me and with all of us today on our podcast.
4: So excited to be here. And You're right. I think with intersex activists, we get used to a weird level of exposure that most people don't have to. And the only like one of the positives of that process is I still draw a line sometimes if something feels uncomfortable or like inappropriate. And I have to do that a lot online in particular. Like, I'm sure you can only imagine the weird DMs that I get sometimes. But what I try to do as well, though, is just normalize the conversation about bodies because we all have them. And so I'm like, it's so weird that we're so ashamed to talk about them when the one thing literally every human being has in common on this earth is that we all have bodies.
3: Oh, I love that. And that's what we're trying to do here today is normalize it and normalize that conversation. And so before we get into everything, can you just go through for our listeners who may not know your full story, what intersects Is and can you explain to them more specifically what androgen insensitivity syndrome is?
4: Yeah, for sure. So, to be intersex is kind of exactly what it sounds like. So, if you break down the word intersex, it means between the sexes. And so, at this phase of societal development, I feel like people understand that there is a spectrum in terms of sexuality. So, you're not only gay or straight, there's this whole kind of spectrum in between. And people are also starting to understand that there's a spectrum in terms of gender. So you're not only a man or a woman, there's non-binary folks, there's people that identify in all different ways. What people are not as aware of yet is that there's also a spectrum in terms of sex and sex being the physical sex traits that we are born with. And so that means everything from hormones to chromosomes to internal reproductive organs or external genitalia any of the physical traits of our body that pertain to our sexual development. And usually in biology class, at least my biology class in elementary school, you were taught XX chromosomes means female, XY chromosomes means male. And that is actually a vast reduction of what exists in human biology. So not only is not everyone with XX a female or XY a male, not just in terms of their gender, but actually in terms of their physical sex, which we'll get into in a second. But there are actually a ton of other chromosomal combinations. So some people are XXY, some people are XO. There's actually a type of being, a way of being called chimerism or people that are called chimeras that are literally two zygotes that fuse in the womb and so those people can have XXXY chromosomes because there were literally two zygotes that fused into one human being. So they're like this like superhuman. And you don't you don't hear about any of these. And the the weirdest part about it is that we're not actually that rare. We are somewhere around two percent of the world's population, which to put that in comparative numbers to for people to understand, that's around the same amount of people as are born with naturally red hair or green eyes. So anyone listening to this podcast who's like, oh, I've never met an intersex person, I guarantee that you have. And I guarantee that you just didn't know it because we are so closeted and we, we experience so much stigma and so much shame. And most people who are listening probably have heard to us referred to as hermaphrodites in the past, not as intersex. But the issue with that is that hermaphrodite then leads you to believe that we are all walking around with like two fully loaded sets of genitalia, which doesn't actually exist in human biology. Basically, what does exist is these unique combinations of different traits that don't fit neatly into those binary male or female categories. So to answer the second part of your question about androgen insensitivity, which is my intersex variation... I have X, Y chromosomes, but when I was in my mom's womb, I decided not to respond to androgens or male hormones. And so despite having X, Y chromosomes, my, what would have become a phallus never evolved that far and it stayed as a clitoris. And my testes stayed internal, my testicles stayed internal, and yet I also developed a vagina vagina. And so when I came out of my mom's womb, I looked just like any other female baby. I was born with a vagina and no one ever would have known any different had they not done genetic testing that told my parents that I have XY chromosomes, which is kind of abnormal because most people don't get genetic testing when they're a baby.
3: That's what I was going to ask. Did your parents ask for that to be done or why was that done in your case? It's a good
4: question and a whole side story that's also explained more fully in my book. But the it, long story short, my mom got in a car crash when she was pregnant with me, and they did testing on my mom to check on the status of the zygote or fetus or whatever phase I was inside of her. And that testing told my mom that I had XY chromosomes. And so before I was born, they were expecting a little boy because they knew I had XY chromosomes. So they had already painted. They had painted the nursery blue and they were going to name me Charles after my dad and both my grandfathers. And then lo and behold, I come out of my mom with a vagina and they're all like, wait, what's going on here? Because they knew that there was a discrepancy between what my genetic material was saying and what, how I was presenting on the outside. Had that car crash not happened, they never would have known I was intersex and not just a typical XX female until I just never got a period one day in adolescence because I don't have a uterus and ovaries, I was born with internal testes. So that is my, my unique flavor of being intersex is called complete androgen insensitivity, which means that despite having XY chromosomes, I don't respond to androgen hormones. And that means male quote unquote male hormones. And so what would have happened is my body, my my internal testes would have produced testosterone. And then my body wouldn't have been able to absorb that testosterone. So it would have converted some of that to estrogen and it would have peed the rest of it out. And I would have developed looking naturally very female. So it's kind of like a superpower that my body has. Like,
3: (laughs) Yeah. It absolutely is. Our bodies are fascinating and so complex and and beautiful and interesting. And you are so proof of all of that. And, you know, I also think there's another really interesting element to all of this, because obviously a lot of us have not naturally heard of androgen insensitivity syndrome. And our goal is to change that right now. But I was also really surprised to hear that your mom, who's a nurse, had also never heard of something like that. And I think this just goes to show what the entire experience has been like for intersex individuals, the lack of communication between medical personnel, not to mention the lack of information given between the doctor patient relationship. I mean, clearly no one talks about this enough.
4: A lot of the doctors and nurses themselves are just never given this information in the first place. So despite the fact that we are 2% of the world's population, which if you translate that, that's around 150 million people around the world, which is to put that in equivalent numbers, that's like half the size of the United States, 150 million people. Despite there being that many of us, we are not usually taught about in med schools. If anything, they might have like one paragraph in their med school textbook and that's it. And so they really like, Sometimes there are bad actor doctors, and you learn about that if you watch the film, Everybody, that that talks about my work and other intersect activists' work. There are doctors who know better and choose not to do better, and we can talk about why that is. But also there are a lot of doctors that are just undereducated themselves because med schools just don't teach about this. And so a lot of the work that we're doing, both at the local level, so we passed an ordinance here in Austin, at the local level, there's also a similar piece of legislation that passed at the state level in New York state. And we're working with the Biden administration to try to pass this federally, but we're trying to pass legislation that says there needs to be better information provided to parents and doctors of intersex kids so that they can make better informed decisions than my parents were able to, for example. Because what ended up happening is my parents, Again, to reiterate, they knew I was intersex because of that car crash that my mom had gotten into. And so that's why the doctors knew I was intersex when I was born. Had that not happened, they never would have known for another decade that I was even intersex. They would have just thought I was a typical XX girl. And because they knew, however, that I was intersex, the information that the doctors gave my parents is they said, Alicia could get testicular cancer one day. And so we recommend removing her testes to avoid that future risk of cancer. And if you put yourself in my parents' shoes, if you're a parent of a newborn baby and I was my parents' first kid, right? They're learning this on the fly as all new parents are. And all of a sudden they're hearing my kid could, could get cancer one day. Like you're terrified and you do whatever the doctors say to avoid that happening. That unfortunately, that was not the full picture that was given to my parents. So what they told my parents was not incorrect anyone born with any body part could get cancer in that body part one day. Any of us born with skin could get skin cancer if we don't wear enough, you know, SPF. Right. But the risk of me getting testicular cancer as someone with my intersex variation was actually only somewhere between one and 5% at a much later date. It never happens in childhood. It happens in adult years. And the risk is only somewhere between 1% and 5%. So it can be as low as like a 1% risk of cancer.
3: Why then is that what parents are being told?
4: So it's a mixture of, again, incomplete information. There's also, we, we still lack a ton of data at this point and we're fighting for better data. But if you can imagine, I was born 33 years ago, there was way less information then than there is now. So some of it is a lack of information. Some of it though is biased beliefs on the part of doctors who believe that intersex kids are not normal. They're like, this is a disorder, this is a problem. They are born, you know, not fully one way or the other way. And so a lot of doctors believe that we should push our bodies one direction or the other direction to fit on that birth certificate, to fit into that male or female category. Our argument as the intersex community is rather than force altering intersex kids' bodies using forced surgeries without our consent to fit us one way or the other, why can't you just change the piece of paper? Like rather than rather than taking out pieces of little kids' bodies surgically to fit on a piece of paper, why don't you just add an extra box onto the piece of paper? It, it would just be so much easier logistically, and it would avoid the situation that happens to a lot of intersex kids where And at this point, I'll I'll explain to folks, too, that my intersex variation was internal, right? So I had these internal testes. No one would have known otherwise. There are some intersex kids who are born with genitalia that is more in between, more visible on the outside. And so with those kids, when they're born, the doctors say, okay, we're going to force their genitals to fit into one of these predefined boxes of male or female, And they say, it's easier to dig a hole than it is to build a pole. And what they mean by that is it's easier to create a vagina than it is to create a penis. So they default to making these little intersex kids girls surgically. And then sometimes the kid grows up and the kid is like, wait, I'm a boy. No one ever asked me. And then this kid is trapped in this body that was created for them by doctors without their consent. And then the kid has to transition later in life. When The whole thing could have been avoided by just waiting a few years until the kid is old enough to be part of the decision-making process. And whereas those kids are trapped in bodies on the outside that might not align with their gender, what happened with me is, you know, they told my parents I could get testicular cancer, so they removed my testes when I was an infant. My testes were my hormone-producing organs. So as I explained earlier, They would have produced testosterone. My body would have converted that to estrogen and I would have developed naturally. By removing my testes in infancy, I went through my whole childhood in hormone withdrawal because I was missing my organs that produce hormones in my body. And because of that, it was leaching calcium from my bones. People think of hormones as only determining things like our cup size or the sound of our voice or facial hair. But hormones, they control so many different bodily functions and organ health, et cetera. One thing that they play a huge role in is bone density, which is why when you hear about menopausal women that might get osteoporosis, it's because their body starts producing less estrogen. And so then their bones become weaker. But for me, they took my organs that would have produced my hormones. So I was basically in the position of a menopausal woman, but as a child, because I wasn't getting enough. Hormones. And so I ended up with osteoporosis. I was diagnosed with osteoporosis in my early 30s because they took my perfectly functioning organs without asking me when there was really no reason to do that. They could have monitored my testes for potential cancer over time to just make sure that they never became cancerous. And chances are they never would have, because again, it's a very, very low risk of cancer as far as the data that we're able to see.
3: Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back in just a minute.
0: Hold up. What was that? you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you
4: think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host.
1: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at ByHeart.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot maybe be your new best friend.
3: and we're back. There are a
4: lot of people who are listening that might be more familiar with the BRCA gene than they are with intersex conditions. Are you familiar, Kayla, with the BRCA gene?
3: Please remind me. It sounds so much more familiar than the term intersex, but please remind me what it is.
4: So the BRCA gene is a genetic variation that a lot of people have that makes them more predisposed to breast cancer or ovarian cancer.
3: Yes, thank you.
4: And a lot of people know that they have the BRCA gene from when they're young because We're in this age of like 23 and me where people do like genetic testing for their kids. Basically, the BRCA gene, there's two variants, but depending on which variant you have, you either have a really elevated risk of breast cancer or of ovarian cancer. And those risks of cancer are actually high. They're like in the realm of like 40% or something like that. Unlike my risk of cancer, which again was somewhere between one and 5%. You don't see them force removing little kids with the BRCA genes ovaries without asking them because they have a risk of ovarian cancer one day they they have a conversation with the kid where they say hey you have been we have identified that you have the BRCA gene it runs in your family there's a risk you might get ovarian cancer one day when you're much older would you rather have like a total hysterectomy remove these body parts that could become cancerous and beyond hormone replacement therapy to avoid the future risk of cancer, or would you rather keep your ovaries to preserve your fertility, your ability to pass on genetic information to the next generation, and then we can just monitor your ovaries to, for potential ovarian cancer over time. They are, these people are able to have fully informed conversations with their consent about what happens to their body. Intersex kids are not given that same opportunity Because we're considered freaks or we're considered not normal. And so we don't have the same rights. Like we're we're basically second class citizens and we don't have the same body autonomy. We don't have the same reproductive rights as anybody else. We have doctors forcing these decisions onto our bodies with these irreversible and life altering effects. And they're making these decisions between parents and doctors, but ultimately parents and doctors aren't the ones that need to live with these bodies the rest of our lives. We are.
3: Right. The way this is dealt with is so antiquated. It really is so beautifully told in everybody, the documentary you just referred to. For those who have yet to see it, it's a documentary film by Julie Cohen, who is an Academy Award nominated, an Emmy-winning filmmaker, and it tells your story, Alicia, along with two others, River Gallo and Sean Sefa-Wall, and it is truly exceptional. I think it the way that you guys tell your stories. And the way that Julie highlights all of your journeys is phenomenal. I mean, we see you guys at childhood and then we see you through, you know, discussing some non-consensual surgeries that have been had. And, you know, up to now, you're just Fully living who you guys are and embracing it and not only just embracing it, but you are all activists and you are doing so much to change these antiquated points of view. And there was something in the doc that just normalized this all. You talked about how, you know, obviously you don't have ovaries. You weren't born with ovaries. You don't menstruate. But all your girlfriends were asking you, do you have a tampon? Hey, do you have a tampon I can borrow? And it just seemed like such a normal teenage thing to go through and being a teenager is hard enough. But you had this extra step and the secrecy behind your body and not even being able to tell your brother about it. And so you started carrying tampons around just to seem normal. And I would have done the exact same thing. And I can't even imagine going through that. You know, what was it like with your brother afterwards when you were finally able to truly like be who you are with someone you love so much and have been so close with your whole life?
4: Yeah, so I think the motivation for the secrecy doesn't necessarily come from a malicious place. You know, people want to prevent their kids from being made fun of or being ostracized. And that's really real. But that used to be the same mentality for people telling their kids not to come out as gay or for the whole like, don't ask, don't tell policy in the military. They were like, okay, you can be gay, but don't tell anyone because you might get like hate crimes or something. And with the gay community, this has evolved over time to be like, rather than telling people to hide that they're gay, we should change society to not make fun of them for being gay. And with intersex people, it's the same thing. It's like, rather than telling people to hide that they're intersex, we should change society to stop making fun of people for being intersex. Because what we have found is that shame and secrecy and all these things are corrosive. Like, we have found that through the experience of gay and lesbian people and bi people, from the experience of trans people, any other member of the LGBTQI plus community, when people are not able to live their truth, it leads to all these other issues. It leads to, in my case, a lot of like substance abuse, which I write about in my book. It leads to like really low levels of self-esteem that cause us to like act out in ways that aren't in alignment with our best selves. So, you know, I used to have like really risky sexual behavior because I was not using sex for my pleasure. I was using it in this way to validate that I was actually like desirable as a human being, because I had been taught my whole life that I wasn't and that I was a freak and that I should, you know, hide who I was to still be a viable candidate for a good husband one day. And so, you know, as much as the surgeries are the problem, so is the broader shame and secrecy that we experience because I am intersex. And I didn't even hear the word intersex until I was 26 years old for the very first time. I had always been told that I had this defect and I was being quote unquote fixed and that I should just never tell anyone about it so that I wouldn't be made fun of and so that I could still you know, find a good partner one day. But that led me to growing up my whole life feeling totally isolated and like I I had no one to share this experience with. And the whole reason I came out is because I read... The story of another intersex person like me. And that's why I'm so out and like loud and trying to be on all the podcasts and be in all the movies and write all the books because, you know, the more stories that are out there, the more people like me will understand that they're not alone. And so anyone who is listening to this and is like, oh my gosh, I'm hearing about this for the first time. And like, what do I do? There are organizations like Interconnect that provide support groups for intersex people. There are organizations like Interact that help you find your voice as an intersex person and learn how to advocate for our community. There are organizations like the Intersex Justice Project, which focus specifically on intersex people of color because they have these added layers of difficulties that they're facing in their life, not just from being intersex, but also for existing In the United States as a person of color, which we all know, you know, is a whole different level of marginalization on top of that. So, you know, you really aren't alone. We aren't alone. We are just forced into these closets that we need to break free of.
3: And we're back. Gosh, I am so happy that you are so vocal about this. And you are so eloquent and brilliant. And I know that you are have already done so much, but you will continue to do so much. I really, I really mean that. And I think that you have such a great outlook and great destination. You just keep going, just keep doing what you're doing. Because I think that was one of the things I was going to ask is for anyone listening, you know, what are the resources that you used? And you just went straight straight to that because I can imagine how lonely the journey must feel sometimes. And it's so nice to be reminded that you're you're not alone, you know? So how do we... Stop these surgeries? I mean, how do I mean, I know that's such a broad question, but how can we be a part of the change that needs to happen? Totally.
4: Well, so that's a really broad and multifaceted answer to that question. There's so much, there's, you know, there's policy work being done. So there are countries, there are entire countries that have outlawed these surgeries without consent from Kenya to Malta degrees that like where you can no longer do these surgeries. So there's policy work being done. There's a lot of medical advocacy that's being done. So educating doctors and educating med schools so that they can advocate as allies alongside us. But in order to plug into any of this work, the easiest first step for people, for anyone listening to this podcast, I would encourage following me on Instagram. So my Instagram is xoxy underscore alicia. Get an XOXY
3: instead of XOXO. I love it. It's great. And we'll we'll have that link in our show notes too. Easy for people to click on.
4: Perfect. And the reason why I say start off by following me is because I'm often in my story or in my posts referring to these organizations or other intersex activists. And the more that you can start following our orgs and following individual activists, that means that this conversation that you and I are having, Kayla, is not the only time someone's going to hear about this. And that it's, they're going to start being exposed to our messaging and all the different ways that we're fighting and the different actions that people can plug into. Because I think people hear about what happens to us. Maybe they see the everybody film or they hear a conversation like we're having and they're like, oh my God, like that's terrible. But then they kind of forget about it and I don't blame them. It's like, there's so many things happening in the world. Like climate change is out here about to decimate all of us, right? And so, the best way I think to become a real ally is to follow people fighting for that issue because then you're exposed to it over and over again over time. And you start learning, like, okay, here are the ways I can plug in. But you also start being just like exposed to what are the messages that I can be pushing as an ally because it takes like a while to start picking up that language and like learning the best way to talk about it. And the only way you're going to learn that is if this is not the only conversation that you hear about this issue.
3: Right. No, that's great advice. Thank you. And I I do want you to share your story about when you were working for the Texas senator and you decided to come out and you called your mom on the way. You know, there was a bill being passed and I would love to have everyone hear it from your perspective, because I think this is this is your moment where it all really, truly began.
4: Yeah, for sure. And I would encourage people to to Order my book, inverse cowgirl. Not reverse cowgirl, though that's fun too. And I, <laughs> I call it <laughs> I call it inverse cowgirl because I'm intersex in Texas, but also because uh, what I talk about in the book is that being an inverse cowgirl basically means like being on the frontier of something where you're like the opposite of what's expected, or you feel like you don't fully fit in, but choosing to own that anyway. And that's something that like anyone can identify with, like intersex or not. Like everyone's always felt like, oh, I'm to this or I'm not enough that, you know? So it's really about just like owning who you are more fully. But the reason why I chose to focus on getting back to your question, the experience of being intersex in Texas in particular is because I do have this kind of weird story, which is like, you never would have expected that someone would choose to come out and own their truth. In a state like Texas, that's arguably the most hostile to the rights of someone like me. And the whole reason that came out is or happened the way that it did is because I was living and working here in Texas with a former state senator who you mentioned, Wendy Davis. And to anyone who's listening to this who's familiar with like feminist history, she became super famous for filibustering Lord, I think it was like 16 hours or something on the floor of the Texas Senate to kill a bill that would have shut down all the Planned Parenthoods across the state of Texas. So, yeah. So this was back in, I'm going to butcher the year, but it was probably, I think it was about a decade ago at this point. Yeah. And she became kind of famous for doing that work. And so she then ran for governor of Texas, but they painted her as quote unquote abortion Barbie because she became known for that filibuster. And so she didn't win her governor's race. And so she ended up instead founding this nonprofit here in Texas called Deeds Not Words to help train the next generation of young women activists in Texas. And she had moved me here to Texas to help her launch that organization. And at the time I was closeted. Like she didn't know I was intersex. Again, I had not even heard that word intersex at this point, but I had gotten involved with training all these young activists in Texas and basically teaching high school and college students how to own their voice and share their story in a way that was going to help other people on issues that they cared about. And we were primarily using sexual assault as our our primary issue at the time, because this this was in the height of the Me Too era. But it's also the unfortunate truth that like a huge percentage of women in the United States have experienced sexual assault. And anyone who hasn't, they know someone who has. So so at the time, we we were training these these young women, how to be vulnerable and share their story in a way to help other people who might have experienced what they have. And at the time, I was feeling like a hypocrite because I was urging them to do that. But there was this huge piece of my story that I had never shared, which is that I was born intersex. And so then they ended up, the Texas Senate ended up trying to pass this piece of legislation called the bathroom bill that would have required trans people to pee in a bathroom that aligns with the sex on their birth certificate. And setting aside the fact that that's not even enforceable because how many people do you know that carry their birth certificate around with them? Like, I I don't even know where mine is. I should probably figure that out at some point. But like, it's like probably in like some safe deposit box somewhere. But anyway, so besides the fact that it's unenforceable, it was going to harm a lot of trans people that I care about. And what I realized is, oh my God, like my story could help kill this bill because this bill is ignoring the fact that there are people born physically in between like me. And so I was, you know, I was basically gonna ask these senators, like where, you know, I look the way I do. I was also born with balls. Do you want me peeing in the men's room? And like seeing just like what they have to say. Cause you know, people can't see me through this podcast, but if you look at me, like I look very femme. I was closeted for over a quarter century and had sexual relations with men my whole life who never knew otherwise. And, you know, for by their rules, they would have wanted me peeing in the men's room, which is creating the situation that they're trying to prevent, which is sexual assault in the men's room and making people uncomfortable. So like, you know, it just showed the total nonsensicality of this bill that they were trying to, to pass. But yeah, so I ended up coming out for the first time in a Senate hearing to help kill this bill, because I was able to point out that by my existence, that you know their bill is based on flawed science and illogical and re- reasoning.
3: Because most of these senators had kind of hit on you at one point, and so the the it's how empowering it must have felt to s- stand up there and talk to them and be like, "Hey, by the way, this is this is the reality of the situation that you guys are putting at the Yeah, forefront.
4: it just. It just shows how nothing is as simple and binary and black and white as some people would choose to believe it to be. And I think that comes from, again, we're in this really scary time where there's, you know, gun violence, there's climate change, there's there's we're in a rapidly shifting world where we because of social media and, you know, the Internet, we're exposed to all these terrible, terrible news all the time. And it can feel really overwhelming. And so when that happens, I think a lot of people choose to try to revert to simpler times and simpler ways of being. And for them, boxes make things easier to understand, like simple categories make things easier for them to understand. They're like, okay, this is something, at least everything else feels overwhelming and unfamiliar, but at least I can, you know, rely on the fact that there's only two boxes on bathroom doors, you know? It's a false and
3: sense of security that they that It's they crave. a false sense of security, yes.
4: And, and you know, we can find a sense of security in other ways, like let's actually pass meaningful legislation to curb climate change. Like, let's pass common sense gun reform. Like, why is, why is our answer trying to, like, legislate what's in little kids' pants? Like, that's such a weird thing
3: concept to me. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I know you go into this a little bit more in Inverse Cowgirl. Talk to us about your book. I know it's available this month. I'm so excited to read it. I think you are just phenomenal. I I'm, I'm so grateful. So tell us all about it.
4: So Inverse Cowgirl is my memoir and it basically arose from the fact that the movie everybody as you mentioned it's about me, but it also tells the story of two other activists who are good friends of mine who are amazing individuals. And because the movie is split between all three of our stories, I wanted to kind of fill in the gaps and share my full story in my words from my point of view. And from that arose Inverse Cowgirl. So it really started out as wanting to be an intersex narrative because we don't see enough of those on bookshelves. And again, if more people, if more intersex people can see themselves represented in the media more of them will feel comfortable coming out and owning their truth. So that was like the original motivation for this book. But as I ended up writing it and as it ended up evolving, the day that I started writing it was the day that Roe versus Wade was reversed in the United States. And so half of the population of the United States and so many of my friends were all of a sudden grappling with their reproductive freedom being taken away from them and being totally stripped of their body autonomy. And so it. my book ended up being actually me being able to say, hey, half of my country is all of a sudden grappling with this crazy reality that I've had experienced from the day I was born. I've never had body autonomy. I've never had reproductive freedom. They forced sterilized me as an infant. They took parts of my body without my consent. And so it's like, as someone who has 33 years of experience with this feeling that y'all are starting to understand now. Like, let me impart some wisdom to y'all and like help y'all understand how I have dealt with this, how I have reclaimed my own body autonomy and how we can all better join together as trans people, as intersex people, as people with uteruses, as sexual assault survivors, as anyone who has had their body autonomy robbed from them in some way, shape or form. This is how we can all join together and raise our voices as a collective rather than in these silos. And the more that we're able to do that, the faster that we're going to reachieve our rights
3: and get what we deserve. (sighs) Alicia Rothweigel, everybody. I mean, you are going to change the world. You already have. And I know that sounds so cheesy, but I genuinely mean that. And as I was watching the doc with my husband, we have a daughter and I just looked at him and I was like, God, I hope she is just like Alicia when she grows up because, man, are you incredible. And I'm sure your family and everyone is so proud of you. And I cannot wait to read your book. I'm so grateful that you came on to do this episode with us. This is I'm proud to release it. I cannot wait. Thank you for everything you're doing. And I'm excited to follow you, to read your book, and to continue to be an ally.
4: Thanks so much, Kayla. And thanks, everyone, for
3: listening. You know, it's interesting because researching this episode, I was trying to think of instances where I had read, seen, heard, intersex people represented in media. And I've realized there's such a lack of representation. And that is something that Alicia talks about as well in her book and in the documentary. And I'm so happy to have had her on today to be able to share part of her story. And there's so much more to her, you guys. I highly recommend watching the documentary Everybody and reading her book, Inverse Cowgirl. I think she's so relatable and I'm so grateful that she came on. And I hope you enjoyed this episode of Directionally Challenged as much as I did. We have another great one coming for you next week. Until then, take care. Directionally Challenged is a production of Pineapple Productions, hosted by me, Kayla Yule, produced by Melissa DeMontz and Diamond Imprint Productions, editing by Diane Kang. Post-production sound by Coco Lawrence and production assistance by Melanie D. Watson.